an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Pour yourself a cold one. Let's drink them, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker and Philadelphia Eagles film junkie Fran Duffy break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time, and it is our second show really breaking down the draft with Kyle Krabs from Grinding the Tape. Looking forward to diving into it with Kyle. I have a bunch of specific picks that I want to get his thoughts on, that I would call them the surprise picks, especially in the first and second round. We are always presented by betonline.ag. You can use the promo code PODCAST1 for the 50% welcome bonus. And this is probably about the last day. You can actually still order a story for your mom or your wife for Mother's Day at myfrontpagestory.com. Probably the last chance you have. I don't even know. I'd have to look and see what their cutoff time is. But uh, I know that they have something you can pay extra for deadline delivery. So you might have to get that. But if you didn't get it yet, you can probably still do it. highly encourage you. The best gift I've seen, for sure. Myfrontpagestory.com. My guy is Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network LLC. Check him out on Twitter at grinding the tape. He's the senior NFL draft analyst for Draft Network, lead editor of the Dolphins Wire. He's got podcasts like Draft Dudes and Finit to Win It. Does a terrific job, and I highly encourage you checking out his stuff. He obviously joined us last week as well to give us the the team hits that he really liked and the team misses that he really didn't like. And now I just have some specific prospects that I want to dive into with him. All right, Kyle. Last week we talked about your draft hits. This week let's talk about the draft misses. And certainly the first one is one I absolutely agree with, and it's the Houston Texans. And I tweeted this. I think the the Friday of the draft after they took Titus Howard, that to me is one of the glaring one of the reasons why you cannot afford to go into a draft with a huge glaring need like the Houston Texans had at tackle because it enables teams to really telegraph what you're going to be able to do and jump you like the Eagles did to get in front of them to get Andre Dillard. That's why it's so bad to have that glaring, glaring need going into the draft. Well, i got to be honest with you, Ross. As a former offensive lineman, I was really nervous to come on this show and crap on the Texans draft class with going with offensive line, but it sounds like we're on the same page here. You know, when Philly jumped them, I think everybody knew, or at least it's been reported that everybody knew that uh, Andre Dillard was the Texans' top offensive tackle in this year's draft class, and for him to slide to 22, I think Houston just panicked. And, and Titus Howard, 
for all of his promising athletic traits and, and the size profile that he has, he's so raw. And, and I don't know how you as a team that needs plug-and-play starters on the offensive line because you have a quarterback on a rookie contract who's very talented but got set to 62 times last year, which is just an astronomical number for him to get sacked. And when you consider some of the other players on the offensive line that were still on the board, I understand Jawan Taylor had a knee issue. So if, if you're going to elim- eliminate him from your board because of medical concerns, that's fine. Cody Ford was still on the board. Dalton Reisner was still on the board. I'd have even gone with Greg Little over Titus Howard. And I think Greg Little's somewhat of a, a handicapped player as far as some of his functional mobility. But you see long-armed, heavy-footed guys that have success because of how big and long they are. And I think Greg Little can at least give you that starting caliber play, even if he's never going to be a very high-ceiling guy. And then you think about their their second offensive line pick at Max Sharping. I like Max Sharping. I had him like 106 on my board. But to take him is 55. And again, the opportunity cost with some of these other guys that were available. I look at Michael Dieter from Wisconsin. I look at Nate Davis from Charlotte. They, I think they really missed the mark with both of their offensive line selections in the top 55 picks. And then to come away with your other top 55 pick with Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky, I know he's a promising athletic uh, specimen and, and big, long body, but I thought he was pretty raw too. So I look at their top – I think Sharping, Sharping was the highest player on my personal board that they drafted with three top 55 picks, and he was outside my top 100 players. Wow. That is unbelievable. I like Sharping. I actually think that there's a better chance Sharping plays this year for the Texans than Titus Howard. Sharping, oh, totally. smart I, I agree kid. with you 100%. Yeah, smart kid, physical. Um, you know, he's got a lot of experience. I, I think that there's a better chance that he plays. It's kind of crazy. Um, and you're so right, it's seemingly. The thing, too, is it's such a huge need. And it's the wrong situation for Titus Howard to go into. Now, maybe it's sink or swim, and he'll be able to to swim, but yikes. Uh, the other team I think was interesting that you didn't like or one of them that you thought they missed, tell me about the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, the Bengals came in, and they had a lot of draft capital. I thought they did an excellent job in, in round one. Uh, letting Jonah Williams fall to them. And they, you know, new coaching staff there. They really need to get the offensive line right and, and figure out the offensive tackle position. Jonah Williams, whether you want to play him a tackle or guard, I think he's one of the safest players in the draft class. Uh, you watched his full body of work. I know it became kind of popular to knock him down because it was a couple reps against Clemson uh, in the, the 2019 National Championship game. But go back and watch Mike McGlinchey against uh, Georgia in 2017 and then remember people wanted to knock him for those kinds of reps too because of three or four bad reps and a bad rep against Miami and then he goes in the top 10 and he's one of the best rookies in the NFL um, I think Jonah Williams will be a similar type of success in his rookie year but you look at the rest of the draft class and uh, Drew Sample was a big surprise for me at 52 uh, I look at some of the tight ends that were still on the board here. That's really how I've been trying to gauge this, trying to look at the strengths and weaknesses of the team, understanding you know, the filters that they're looking at the players through, but then looking at some of the opportunity costs of other players that were on the board and other directions that they could have gone. And 
And for me, uh, Drew Sample at 52 is really, really rich. I uh, was surprised to see him uh, come off the board that early. I felt like his, he was an ideal tight end, too, in the pros, but not necessarily somebody that you would really want to take as a top, almost a top 50 player. Uh, Jay Sternberger stands out as another tight end uh, who was still on the board that I felt like could have given them some similar success. Even uh, Kahel Waring, who went 86 to the Houston Texans, who we just got done talking about their draft class, uh, Waring's, if you want a blocker with some receiving upside, I think Waring's an equal caliber blocker to Drew Sample, but I, I think he's got much more upside to his receiving skill set. Waring only played one year of high school football, walked on at San Diego State. After two years, he was a scholarship athlete, and he's he's still raw as a route runner, but he's got some really nice ball skills, and uh, I, just, I just felt like that pick seemed a little premature. And then went Jermaine Pratt at 72, uh, Ryan Finley, I think, is an ambitious pick, and they traded up for Ryan Finley. That that kind of felt like, to me, what the C.J. Beathard pick for the San Francisco 49ers was a couple of years ago when they traded up to the end of round three to draft Beathard. And next thing you know, Beathard's the QB3 in San Francisco, and I, I don't see the, the ceiling there with Ryan Finley. So they had a lot of picks, and they got some nice guys late. I like Jordan Brown from San, uh, South Dakota State at 223. I like Rodney Anderson, but there's some some significant injury concerns there with him. I think three out of the last four years, he's, he's had his season ended early with injuries. Um, I think my favorite pick of theirs outside of Jonah Williams is probably Travion Williams at 182, the running back from Texas A&M. I think he can play some third down stuff for him. He's really good in pass pro and a little bit of a change of pace for Joe Mixon, but uh, I just felt like the, the Bengals had a lot of opportunities, and I, I look at some of the players that they picked, and I just think they went – I would have gone a different direction with their picks. The Drew Sample one was perplexing to me as well when there was a bunch of other guys, you know, the Jay Sternberger, Dawson Knox guys on there. But, I mean, they knew those guys were available. Obviously, they felt like getting a guy that – maybe he's a little bit better of a blocker, uh, was a priority for them. And we'll see. Finley reminds me of like a poor man's Dalton. <laughs> it's kind of a funny, a funny fit there. Um, what about the other team that you felt like they had some misses, and that was the Atlanta Falcons? You know, it was I, I love the pick of Chris Lindstrom, so I, I want to – acknowledge that right off the front. Lindstrom, for me, was another top 20 interior offensive lineman. Ross, I told you uh, when we talked about classes that I liked, I gave some love to to these interior offensive linemen. And uh, Lindstrom was a player for me I thought was really safe. He's kind of a plug-and-play type player. I think he was pretty scheme diverse. I wasn't crazy about the trade-up for Caleb McGarry. They traded up to get him at 31. McGarry's got some really nice tools, and he's a super high-caliber like locker room persona. He's a really good kid. He's been through a lot of stuff. If you don't know his backfield or his background story, uh, he's gone through a lot of adversity to get to this point. He's the kind of kid that you want to root for, but I just felt like he was super raw. And, and kind of, again, you, you look at some of the other players that were available, you want to draft Caleb McGarry and, and play him at right tackle. Why, what's wrong with Dalton Reisner? What's wrong with with Jawan Taylor, you know, who went a couple picks later? Uh, 
I just Caleb McGarry going ahead of those guys was really confusing for me. And then the rest of their picks came on day three. And for a team that's trying to get into the arms race and compete with the New Orleans Saints and the L.A. Rams, the Falcons, I thought, were a team that took a lot of high or high ceiling but very low floor type players. And I don't think any of these guys are ready to contribute right away. Uh, Kendall Sheffield from Ohio State is very lean, very uh, unphysical with his play. I think he needs to get a lot stronger if he's going to hold up at the NFL level. Uh, John Kaminsky is a really interesting story, defensive lineman from Charleston. He's a former quarterback. I believe he put on 80 pounds during his time at, at the college level. But to take him at 135, you watch his tape, and you could tell he's a former quarterback because he's he's got a lot of growth to do from a technique standpoint. And he was kind of just you know, a great athlete who excelled at a low low level of competition was surprised to see them go with Kadri Olison, the running back from, from Pittsburgh, too. The, I mean, don't get me wrong. I liked Olison as a player, but they lost Tevin Coleman. And I was expecting for them to look for a guy that could bring a, a little bit more in the receiving game. Uh, there were some backs and a lot of really good backs that came off the board late that could have contributed in a role to help fill that that void of, of losing Tevin Coleman. And Olison, I think, is kind of just – a pure power back, a guy that's going to work between the tackles for you. So I think he's a change of pace, but I didn't really get the fit. And then Jordan Miller from Washington and Marcus Green from Louisiana Monroe, uh, 172 and 203 were their selections. Miller was a, a guy for me that I thought uh, another unphysical corner. So I'm a little concerned about his physicality. He's got some, some durability issues. He's 186 pounds. So just surprised to see them go with so many guys that while they have athletic ability, I don't think they're anywhere near ready. And the Falcons need to, to compete, and they need day one contributors to help them stay competitive in the NFC. And I, I think they missed the mark with all those day three guys and even Caleb McGarry. You know, it's interesting, um, Kyle, one of the things I was thinking about, when you look at McGarry and Lindstrom and Quadri Olsen, it just seems like I wonder if some of these teams – those guys, and you look like the Titans drafting Nate Davis after they signed Roger Saffold in free agency, and they've got Derrick Henry at running back. It seems like some of these teams might be trying to zig while everybody else zags, and these teams are getting a little lighter and more sub defenses and all that stuff. I almost wonder if they're 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 going to try to pound these teams a little bit. You know, I mean. Saffold and Nate Davis at the guards in Tennessee, Lindstrom and McGarry on the right side, I presume, for the Falcons, maybe even Allison, you know, as a, as a bigger back, Derrick Henry in Tennessee. I, I think some of these teams are, are trying to, um, I don't want to say outsmart, but they're, they're trying to zig while everybody else zags, potentially. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation as far as, uh, the league is cyclical, right? And right now everybody's working into to, to space and you got 225 pound linebackers to help combat uh, the, the pass coverage and the spacing issues. And once you get these small linebackers, you're going to get a couple of teams that all of a sudden it's a, it's, it's really popular to load up on beef and everybody's 315, 320 up front. And, and you run a lot of gap power and you run right downhill at guys and, and test them and try and try and dare them to stop you. Uh and I think that's kind of the natural life cycle of the league. And I think it will be interesting 
with the rule changes that we've seen throughout the league in the last couple of years, uh, how much how much that either expedites that cycle where a lot of teams start to go back to, to pound or, or if the rules and, and teams just decide that it's, it's more beneficial to them to play to the rules of today's NFL and then just roll the dice and hope that you, you can man up and you can stop those select handful of teams that really choose to dare you. But I agree with you, especially with the Tennessee Titans as a team that you know, they took all physical players. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is a red shirt this year, but A.J. Brown at 51, he's a physical dude, and, and he can block, and he's physical after the catch, and Nate Davis. So the Raiders were another team to me. That you, you look at their first three, four selections, Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, John Abram, and Trayvon Mullen, all those guys are super physical guys. So I, I definitely agree with your assessment, and you're, you're going to continue to see, I think, a, a select handful of teams kind of work against the grain, hoping that it works to their advantage and that they're ahead of the next curve that's coming while everybody's trying to catch up to the spread. Farrell was one of the guys I wanted to ask you about, Kyle. I mean, obviously, nobody really thought he'd go four. What did you think of Farrell? Because I remember reading something from Dane Brugler that people felt like against Pitt, Notre Dame, and, and Alabama that he was playing as well as any player in, in the country. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Farrell, for me, I was a little bit higher on the, the consensus. He was my third-rated edge defender. I had him behind uh, Nick Bosa and Brian Burns. But Farrell was my seventh overall player in the class. So I think he's high ceiling, but he's also high floor. I know anytime a guy doesn't give you some of the athletic testing that you're you're hoping for to alleviate concerns about how explosive he is or how good his get-off is, but he's a guy like Jonah Williams, like, you have so much of a body of work to stand on with his film, and he's super productive in the, the ACC. I mean, he finished with over 50 tackles for a loss, and he's got traits to back it up. It's not like he was just a, a straw man in the box score. He's a heavy-handed dude. He's got long arms, and he's got some pass rush palette to him. He's not just a guy who, who bowls you with power, or he's not a, a one-trick pony as far as being a speed guy. He's He's got some layers and some levels to his pass rush playing. So I think he got undersold. I think he was one of those guys that was kind of popular to, and it really felt like the last two months of the draft process, Cleveland Farrell went from being a consensus top 15 pick to a top 30 pick to maybe a top 40 pick. But you see, you see that a lot where these guys that you've known for a while, we kind of overanalyze them a little bit and it, there's shiny new toys and then new players to assess that are, more fresh and you want to place the, the, the recency bias that you want to bubble those guys up. And I've certainly been guilty of that myself with certain players, not to say that I'm, I'm a perfect analyst. I'm certainly not, but Farrell for me was a guy I thought was really safe, but was also a guy that had eight to 12 stack a year potential in the pros. All right. What about uh, Daniel Jones? I know we talked about him a few weeks ago, but now that he's six to the giants, what what did you see? Because it seemed like, Kyle, there were a bunch of teams that had him rated higher than Dwayne Haskins, and you wonder how much of that is the meetings and on the board and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think Jones certainly helps himself in the board talk because he's coming from a Cutcliffe offense versus uh, Dwayne Haskins coming from this Ohio State offense. That, that doesn't have quite as many clear translations to the pros. And that, that seemed to be 
the pedigree for Daniel Jones was what everyone pointed to. But for me, that's that's so rich to take him at sixth. And I understand you got to play the game a little bit, especially with quarterback. And uh, Dave Gettleman said, I believe he asked the, the reporter that asked him if he was married, he said, did you wait for your wife to come to you or did you go get her? So I understand that component of it, but I really question for the Giants, Gettleman took Saquon Barkley number two last year and talked about how it was the best player available, so they stayed true to their board. Either the Giants grossly misevaluated this draft class if Daniel Jones is one of the six best players available, or they completely went against their own philosophies that they just had in 2018 by drafting Daniel Jones at six because they needed it. So I think that philosophical issue for me is what I wrestle with the most because Daniel Jones for me was, you know, a, a round two quarterback. And for you to take him at six because you felt there were two teams out there that were going to target him and you weren't going to get him, then so be it. I would much rather trade trade back in round two or even trade the, the, the round two pick that they had before they traded up for DeAndre Baker and get Josh Rosen. You know, you get a better quarterback for less of a cost than to just Go get your guy because Eli played the, the David Cutcliffe branch, and now you got the, the, an extension of that with Daniel Jones. So I think that they really misplayed that decision, in my opinion. But I also like some of the other players that they, they pulled. I like Dexter Lawrence. I like DeAndre Baker. I like Julian Love, the, the corner from Notre Dame. So uh, the, the Daniel Jones selection will obviously determine how much success the Giants have but I thought they did a nice job with some of their other picks. What about Darnell Savage at 21? Yeah, this was, uh, this was one of those pre-draft late in the process things that got some heat, like, Oh, the, the top safety off the board, it might be Darnell Savage. We, we heard about uh, Taylor Rapp and we heard, heard about John Abram and, and it turns out Darnell Savage gets the call. He's a fun football player. I don't have any issues with this at all. Savage was a top 40 player on my personal board. A uh, lot of burst, a lot of twitch. I was, had the chance to see two Maryland games live this, this past year. I was there to see him play Texas. They upset Texas in week one. And then I saw them play um, against Michigan State as well. And he had a lot of ground covered in both of those games. He's got some parallels, I think, to, to Carl Joseph but I think he's much more diverse in coverage. So I think he gives you a lot more instead of just being a single high guy. Uh, obviously the size there is something to note. Savage is not the biggest dude, but because of how explosive he is, he generates a lot of force in short spaces and he can make some pretty explosive hits. And he's a reliable tackler. But again, I thought his, his last two years at Maryland, he really turned it on as far as coverage diversity and then how much he can do is playing off coverage and then playing single high and, so I think he will do very, very well for the Green Bay Packers. Kyle, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for your hits last week, your misses this week, and just chiming in on a couple of players I wanted to ask you about. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Austin. I'm always happy to talk ball, and you do such great work. So appreciate you asking me on. Had to ask Kyle about those guys. I, you know, those are just the ones that I've still been – Kind of scratching my head about, and I, I've talked to some other people about it, but wanted to get 
an analyst like Kyle on the record with his thoughts on those picks for you guys. Now what you can do is you can go to betonline.ag and you can use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus. Pretty sweet. 50% welcome bonus. You are able to get whatever money you deposit. Like let's say you deposit $100. They'll give you 50 bucks for free. And you can bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. We'll have more of the Triple Crown races coming up over the next few weeks. Obviously, you can be all over the season win total numbers and the week one lines as well. And you can do it at betonline.ag using the promo code PODCAST1. Get the wisdom from people like Kyle and myself and Evan Silva and Andrew Brandt and put it to good use over at betonline.ag, promo code PODCAST1. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We're all tapped out. Thanks for enjoying your frosty one while listening to the college draft. Chuck, 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 chuck. Make sure you're also subscribing to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, and Even Money Podcasts. All available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.